On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Performance Anxiety Podcast Holiday Special on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and in the spirit of Dickens' A Christmas Carol, I've asked a couple of guests from podcasts past to come back on. Alan Johannes discusses a song of Christmas past that he recorded with his wife, Natasha Schneider, and Chris Cornell. I'm also joined by Josh Caterer of Smoking Popes to talk about a song he recorded and released this Christmas present, and both discuss some possible releases for Christmases yet to come. So like a little kid on Christmas morning, let's just tear right into this episode of Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, but give Alan, Josh, and I a follow on social media just to stay in the loop on our new releases. So without further ado, here's Alan Johannes kicking things off with Chris Cornell's Ave Maria. So you recorded uh, with Chris Cornell, and you were you and, and your wife Natasha were mm-hmm. the core of Chris's first solo album, Euphoria Morning. Yeah, the three of us were the, were kind of the the triumvirate, the, uh, yes. the three headed monster, the Hydra of yeah. uh, Euphoria Morning. I recommend everybody go back and listen to the episode that you did with me in May of 2019 because yeah, that very... gives a whole backstory. Exactly, awesome, awesome experience, and we covered it really, really quite. Uh, uh, heavily there. Well, um, yeah. And I yeah, appreciate you I, doing that. Everybody go back course. and check that out. Yeah. Was Ave Maria recorded at that time? No, it was a little earlier than that. Uh, from, oh. I'm trying to be, I'm kind of like going by the, by the, uh, the sounds mm-hmm. and okay. So basically the, the, we tour with Soundgarden, we'd be, we'd been friends. Right. And then Soundgarden stopped uh, for the first time, you know, after, after down on the upside, until you know, obviously, we, we, uh, coming back together uh, in twenty, I think ten or eleven, was it? Oh, oh. King Animal, yeah, King Animal. But, uh, but but basically, Chris was was kind of decompressing. He was staying with us, and we didn't have the studio at eleven AD yet. We're kind of hanging out, you know, doing our, yeah, whatever this and that. Um, we did uh, uh, that he. So we had a little kind of setup at the house. We had a eight track machine. We didn't have the fancy studio yet because okay. he was instrumental in getting us that. Uh, so, and Al Kafar, the president of A and M, that plays into this. So, basically, I think it, this probably happened sometime after Sun Shower. So we did Sun Shower first, okay, with 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 the limited equipment that we had, you know, but still obviously decent enough to sound good, you know. Yeah, yeah. talked to Al Kafar. Well, he invited Al Kafar, the president, to come over and listen to our stuff. 
And Al really, really loved what he heard, and he offered us a record deal. And and we were ballsy and touched, and we were ballsy enough to go into his office and ask for the money for the record deal for a studio, as opposed to hiring professionals. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so they'd never done it before, because usually a label would rather rent you something than actually buy it for you, even though it costs them more money. It's like a weird ethical thing that they got. Oh, well, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously not every case, but whatever. Record company um, ethics. That's, that's an oxymoron, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, well, you know, obviously it's, like being dick, it's <laughs> yeah. a little dickish to like rather like, like, Oh, it's only three grand to buy him the guitar. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, we're, we don't buy anybody anything. We're going to rent this guitar. That's going to be 10 grand. Yeah. But whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so we ended up, we ended up with, by the time we ended up with the studio, we did have a guard dog. And then after that we did uh euphoria morning. Okay. Even though Avant-Garde dog came out after. So, Judging by what I'm hearing, uh, the Ave Maria was, uh, you know, they did a very, a very special Christmas uh, compilation, A&M did. Yes. So we were asked, we were asked that uh, Chris and, and, and us were asked to do it to get collaborate. Or he was asked and he came to, I forgot the chronology, or he, he was asked to do one, or we were both asked to do it together, maybe at dinner, Alcafar said, that would be great. And so we chose uh, Schubert's Ave Maria. And... You can hear in there like the, the, the orchestral sounds are all, you know, samples library based. And, and at the time we had like a, a, a Proteus orchestral module by Emu. Um, we had a Roland sampling thing and so the timpanies and the, and the thing. But, uh, you know, so the, Natasha's performing all this stuff, you know, for the bed. And then I know that she, you know, she definitely said like, wow, we need an intro. Uh, da, 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 you know, this beautiful beginning. It's like, that's actually not part of the Schubert composition. And it's the outro as well. So obviously she's like, this needs something. Yes. Yeah, it's Schubert. Chris sang an incredible job singing it. Um, and then Natasha snakes around him, like in the lower and higher register. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, so, so that, that's how we came to, uh, came up with that. And, um, kind of wish now going back now that we would have been able to afford like an orchestra, a real orchestra, but it's really charming in the way that it is. It does sound a little bit dated with the sounds, but, but it's such a great performance by Chris yes. and Natasha's arrangement and stuff, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm, I was just like, you know, my my contribution was being yeah that's awesome and recording it <laughs> <laughs> recording that that was my big input on that one even this is because it's Chris Cornell in eleven or maybe maybe oh, I think Greg Greg Upshur is playing drums on that actually yeah that's why I wanted to ask yeah. if, if, a time frame because I, I know Josh Freeze plays most of the drums on Euphoria Morning yeah no he Greg plays on it too and so and Vic and uh, Andrizo plays on uh, Wave Goodbye okay and Bill Rieflin played uh, plays on uh, Rest in Peace Bill. Um, yeah. Played on Steel Rain. Um, Matt Cameron played on Disappearing One, right? And then the yeah, rest yeah, is Josh yeah. Freese. Yeah. So, so, so this is before this is before Euphoria Morning because Greg had already joined. Maybe I think he he Sunshower and even Ave Maria and Sunshower was probably because of the sound. We didn't we didn't we, we made our guard dog with uh, at the house with the fancy gear with Greg playing drums because Jack had left for, for Pearl Jam until he came back for Hollingbrook, right? Right. And then Matt Cameron went to, but it's just kind of this weird, like, okay, you go and I stay and then we do this. <laughs> 
And uh, and so I would definitely say that, yeah, Greg uh, played on both of that and Sun Shower before we got to studio equipment. So, because, you know, okay. obviously it wasn't, it wasn't overnight that we got signed. It takes a few months for the contracts and then it takes a while to get the approved for the, by the year and whatever. Yeah. So, so, well, you know, obviously we're sitting there and then when you, when, you know, Christmas songs, music, a lot of them are pretty familiar to people and some of them are really melodic and, and sweet, but, but not, not a lot of them are virtuosic in that sense, you know, the, okay. the way that Ave Maria is, or, and it's obviously part of like, like, uh, you know, part of the classical repertoire as well, and Schubert and, and, and whatever. So, so we chose we, we chose that one for that very reason because it could you know it could be really nice, and Chris sounds so great on it. And, oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been cited as one of his greatest performances. So yeah, it's, were, there, yeah. were there any other songs in the mix for the album, or was it always Ave Maria? Um, no, I mean it was either that one or or it was uh, uh, maybe the. The, the Bach Gounod Ave Maria, which oh, is the other one. Yeah. yeah, you know? Yes, yes. Ave Maria, you know, with, the, with Latin and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful one, but like, uh, that would have been a great one too. Would have been really nice with Natasha just playing the Bach, which is basically the prelude number one, right? You know? Yeah. And, and Chris singing that. That would have been the other one, the other choice, I think. And besides that, I don't, I don't think, I think we're looking specifically for something that that was connected to to both the classical repertoire, obviously for the for the virtuosic possibilities, and because you know, like there's some great Christmas tunes, but some of them, you know, it's not exactly like you can sink your teeth. Into yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Jingle Bell Rock is great, but Jingle it's not. Bell, yeah, yeah, no, of course. I mean, it is. It is too in a different kind of way. But yeah, you know, we're talking about it's Chris Cornell. You know, you want you want. Yeah. Exactly. You got to challenge that voice. You know, it's yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> did it take a long time? I mean, were there, were there, were there a lot of takes of it, or did he nail no, it pretty quickly? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's for what I remember, we did it in one afternoon. You know, wow. uh, yeah. I mean, like Natasha would have would have worked out the arrangement spontaneously in her head and performed it, and then I think probably had Greg come in and when Chris would sing things like. You know, one, two, or three takes. It depends. Like, like uh, sometimes he would nail it straight away, but the performance he always nailed. It was very often he was after a particular sound from his voice, and he would search, search for that sound. If you notice in Euphoria Morning, how the tonality and the vibe of his voice fit, fits the song perfectly, and each one is different. Like the the steel rain tone is not the same as uh, uh, when I'm down or or you know with like goodbye, goodbye or, yeah. or, pre- or preaching. You know, they they're, they're all quite. Uh, I mean, it's obviously still him, but but they're all quite tailored to the emotional content of the song and and, and the vibe of it, you know. Yeah. And that's what he that that's what he would work on. He would he would sit there and and kind of think about it for a second, be kind of quiet, and he'd say, "Okay, I'm ready." And then he'd perform it. And then he would say, "Okay, give me a minute," and he'd sit there for about five ten minutes just thinking about it, you know. Wow. And he could hear him. Yeah, you could you know in the control room I could hear him think. I mean, like he'd be like. <sighs> And then, like, some more sun, you know. You hear, the, you hear a car go by, you hear the dog barking, and then, because you know, it was a house, so there was always right. ambient sounds. And he'd be like, okay, I'm ready. And then, so then we go for another take. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> I love the track. That's why I wanted to reach out to you and, and ask you some questions about it. But, I mean, sometimes it's, they're not, songs aren't appreciated immediately i think yeah. that one was did you guys get that feeling as well as soon as it came out on the album 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, in a way, in a way, I mean, obviously, like some eyebrows were raised because of the context before it's before you four in the morning. So yeah. in a way, it, uh, between that and sun shower, it kind of, even though it was still shocking for a lot of people to hear before in the morning after Soundgarden, I think that uh, Ave Maria and sun shower kind of lessened that shock for some, you know, between that and, and his, his Ponce uh, EP and then Temple of Dog, they, you know, everyone knew that that Chris could go different directions whenever he felt that uh, felt like it, you know? Yeah. And before morning being a classic example of him, you know, just wanting to explore different uh, styles of songwriting and different atmospheres and, and, and to see what his voice could do within a context, you know, and, and, mm. you know, and obviously that's, you know, it was always inherently there in Soundgarden too, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, I mean, never, never on display quite like that. I mean, I know he did some amazing things vocally for Soundgarden, but yeah, that really took it to a whole different level, you know, where he, I mean, I believe he was getting respect from people that maybe had put him aside as a rock singer instead of just right. a great singer. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, he, he always went way above like, you know, like in other words, like transcends, you know, he yeah. always transcended. I, I, I would, I remember playing, even before we we met, we met around the time of Bad Motor Finger, but I remember playing some pretty serious hardcore, like, you know, <laughs> nose turned up, like, eh, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, a, a, a musician's appreciation of mus music and the art, art world. <laughs> and then, and I would, I would, I would quiet them down the second they would hear Chris's voice because it, it transcended, you know. Soundgarden in general did too, because of, because obviously the, just the vibe and the feeling of it and the, and the, and, and it was such great music. It's so creative. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Alvin, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate the my insight <laughs> you've given on the song. It's, it's one of my favorite Christmas tracks ever. And, uh, I'm so glad that you were there because you and Natasha definitely put your stamp on it and made it sound Ooh. like Chris Cornell and 11. I mean, it's just, there's right. no other sound that's, that yeah, is that. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of our achievements and our legacy and stuff. And, and I certainly miss those two. You know, yeah, it's crazy. I'm, I'm just trying to, to do my best, just carry on a little bit here. Well, but um, but it's lovely to be able to to access those memories through listening to the music. You know. Yeah. 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 And congratulations on fin wrapping up the the latest album, I believe. Yes, hum. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's been out for a little bit now, and I'm, I'm already like starting to uh, to get itchy about making some some new music. It's gonna be instrumental, I think, for for a minute. Oh, cool. um, I'm, I want to explore that side because you know my Instagram, I'm constantly improvising and posting stuff. Yes, um, love it. But yeah, thank you, and and so I'd love to explore that for a minute and and kind of see what it's like to to just be on Bandcamp only and and not streaming. You know, just kind of like have a direct. Love to, I love to access the the people that are simpatico with my particular vibe, you know, it's getting to that point because it doesn't need to be that many people as long as, as long as you can connect to an audience that, that is resonant. And as long as somehow the, the income stream is, uh, sustains you, you know, and, and, and nobody wants, you know, needs, I mean, I, I got a 2006 Toyota Corolla and, you know, it's like, I can, I can, I can live in a shack as long as my yeah. gear's with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's just about being able to keep my mind clear and stress-free, 
you know, as much as possible. Obviously, that's not it's not totally doable in this, with this, uh, yeah. this this particular universal situation. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. You know, you know, like, uh, but whatever. But if it's possible to to, to to try to do it, it'd be great. Awesome. awesome, brother. Well, look, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Yeah, same and Happy New Year. Just be healthy and happy and and fulfilled with our creative uh, dreams and other things. right back after a word from our sponsors. I want to take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Tiesta Tea. Tiesta is a tea company on a mission to create loose leaf tea beverages with premium ingredients that taste good and do good. Each tea is blended for one of five categories so you can energize, slenderize, boost antioxidants, boost immunity, and relax. My current favorite is Blueberry Wild Chow. You know, when I was growing up, my dad always told me, once you go loose, you never go bagged. And you know what? He was right. Go to TiestaTea.com and use the promo code ANXIETY15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. Think you know tea? You haven't tried Tiesta Tea. Next up is Josh Caterer on White Christmas and a new live album that was just released. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from Performance Anxiety, myself, and the Pantheon Podcast family. All right. Well, that's good. Hey, how you been? I've been okay, man. I'm good. You are releasing a Christmas single, and you've recorded a version of White Christmas, which a classic Christmas song. Yeah. Is it the classic Christmas song? I think it... Wow. I, I think it could be. I think, I mean, all right. So what else would be the classic Christmas song? You've got white Christmas, uh, the Christmas song, the Christmas song by, uh, uh, Nat King Cole uh, written by Mel Torme. My Mel Torme. Yeah. That like those two are kind of on the short list of penultimate Christmas songs. Yeah. In the non-religious category. Right. Right. Um, and yeah. you've got, you know, the, Carol of the Bells, which is my favorite, but then you've also got you know, the Twelve Days of Christmas. But I think when you when you're coming to ones that are more, and I, it's hard to say White Christmas and the Christmas song are contemporary songs, but I guess in the scheme of grand scheme of things, maybe they're a little more than Carol of the Bells and the Twelve Days of Christmas, and they're um, yeah, contemporary. I'm. I'm guessing that uh, White Christmas was written like either we, we could easily look this up, but I think I will. Just, 
in school and guess. <laughs> okay. Let's say like late thirties, it was probably first written. That's what I was thinking. Cause Bing Crosby did it and yeah. he's old as hell. And well, and now he's dead, but he, and now he's dead. And I know there was a, there was a movie called white Christmas with uh, Bing Crosby in it. 1954. For the movie or for the song? For the movie. Okay, so I know the song was written before the movie, but n- not by 20 years, I don't think. I think it was only written a few a few years before, so. All right, I'm going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> see, I was, because th- I was thinking it was 30s myself. Uh, let's see. Oh. It is showing... Irving Berlin yes. wrote it. The, um, the, okay, so the song was written by Irving Berlin for the musical film Holiday Inn, released in 1942. Aha. So I was right. Yes. So the, there is a movie called White Christmas, but it wasn't written for that. White Christmas was later. Yes. Holiday Inn, 42. Did that have uh, Fred Astaire in it? That had, uh, let me, I can click a link and find out right now. Uh, let's see, it cast. It had Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Marjorie yeah. Reynolds, Walter Abel, Virginia Dale, Louise Beavers. Okay, so that movie came out in 42. I think he had written the song a couple years before that. Yes, I'm, I imagine because I'm reading it says filming took place between November 18th, 1941 and January 30th, 1942. Okay. And the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor occurred halfway through filming. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Look at that. We're all full of trivia today. The song that would become White Christmas was conceived by Berlin on the set of Top Hat in 1935. I was right. Thirties. <laughs> he hummed the melody to Fred Astaire and the film's director Mark Sandrich as a song possibility for a future Astaire Ginger Rogers vehicle. Astaire loved the tune, but Sandrich passed on it. Mmm, poor choice. Oh well. So it, it was conceived. You gotta figure he eventually regretted that. Oh yeah. He so it was conceived in the mid thirties. Finalized for the 1942 film Holiday Inn. So, I don't know. In, in the pantheon of Christmas songs, is is that contemporary or is that still classic? Um, I don't know. What if I if I were to tell you that to me that constitutes a, a contemporary song? What would that tell you about me? That you <laughs> that you're an old soul. <laughs> I'm an old soul. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anything written after 1912 is like pretty cutting edge. <laughs> Anything that was written on that could be played on a, on a wax cylinder. Yes. From that point on, that's um, contemporary. Well, I think as far as it potentially being the ultimate Christmas song, um, that might be depending on what metric you want to use to establish that. I mean, I'm pretty sure it is the highest selling single of all time. Okay. You can be single or Christmas single single. Wow. Now I, I heard this fact, I think on a podcast a few years back, but it's gotta be true. 
that, right. People don't put fake th- news on podcasts. Nope. But like that, the, that Bing Crosby's version of White Christmas was for years and years, it was the highest selling, the best selling single of all time. And then it's one of those things where in, you know, more recent decades, there would be a single that went out and, and, and took the lead. But then the next time Christmas rolled around, White Christmas again took the lead. And so every year people keep buying it. And so he managed to, 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 to keep, to keep his, his lead. So, I mean, not that commercial success is the ultimate yardstick of everything, but right. That counts for something. Yeah. I w- yeah, I agree. I'm looking up best-selling Christmas singles and it's just, I don't know. It's going by the first thing that pops up constantly is all I want for Christmas is you by Mariah Carey. And I got to yeah. tell you, I, I, I don't like that song. I don't, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. <laughs> I, uh, to me, that's like post contemporary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like the, the Christmas music that, that resonates with me that I love is like the Frank Sinatra Christmas album. Yeah. Um, anything with the Rat Pack, Elvis's Christmas album, Ray Connick, uh, Cosme. Yeah. Bing's got a couple of good ones. Yeah. Uh, Harry Como, Nat King Cole. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've got, my big ones are Ray Khan. If I listen to that one, every the, the first one from like early 60s. Okay. I haven't heard Ray Khan's. Oh, my. I grew up with that one. So that, that one's classic. It's it's just amazing. It's How do you feel about Andy Williams? I, I you know, I like Andy Williams. That's, uh, what the hell is the name of that? his big one uh most wonderful time of the year right yeah yeah i like that there's that one i don't remember the name of it the one where it's um crap it may be andy williams where he's kind of like scats through it it's like um it's the holiday season and whoop dee doo and dickery doc i (laughs) flipping hate that song i hate that one Okay. <laughs> it's the holiday season. The holiday season. So hoop dee doo and dickery dock. Don't forget to hang up your sock. Cause just exactly at 12 o'clock, he'll be coming down the chimney down. He'll be coming down the chimney down. He'll have a big fat pack upon his back. Yeah. And lots of goodies for you and for me. So leave a peppermint stick for old St. Nick hanging on a Christmas tree. That's a horrible Christmas song. So out of all these Christmas songs, you chose White Christmas. Is there a reason you chose that over the Christmas song? Or it's the holiday season? There is something about White Christmas. There's something about the simplicity of the melody and the kind of um there's like an earnestness to the lyric it it is a very simple song there's like only the one verse that kind of repeats right
and Ir Irving Berlin is just one of the greatest songwriters of, of all time. And he had that gift for being able to write a, a melody that was accessible and simple and kind of uh, understandable. But there's, there is an underlying kind of emotional quality to the melody and the way that that interacts with the chords. I mean, there, there, there's a reason why the, the song is still alive and it's still being covered. It, it resonates with us, yeah. you know? And I think there's something unique about the way that the song White Christmas is able to do that. And so, um, you know, the Smoking Popes have played a cover of White Christmas for several years, you know, in our December shows. Oh, cool. So I was anxious to um, to try it with this new band because I just felt like they would bring something to to the table that would be kind of fresh and interesting. And they're they're a very improvisational couple of musicians. Right, and it's it's John Perrin and and uh, John San Juan, right? Yes. Okay, so my new buddy John San Juan, he's just on the podcast recently. Oh, right, because he's got the new Hush Drops album that he's yeah that just came out. Yeah, so he's a beautiful man. He is awesome. He's always willing to chat when I've got a question for him. I just shoot him a message, and he just responds almost immediately. It's amazing. Yeah, Outside. he's a wonderful guy, and that's you know that's like that is one of the real blessings of this musical project that I'm working on you know, with this band that I, I think we've kind of adopted the name, the Josh Caterer trio. Um, but I had known, you know, John Perrin and John San Juan kind of, we were acquaintances, but I, I didn't really know them and hang out with them and consider them like good friends until last year. And I called them up and said, Hey, do you guys want to throw together some songs for this virtual concert and maybe we'll record it. And they were like, yeah. And that sort of, thrust us into the situation where we were um, suddenly in a band together and just getting to know those guys has been such an incredible blessing to me. They're, they're both just like fantastic people and great friends. And I feel like, um, I don't know, I've kind of, I, I've kind of been inspired in my own approach to friendship actually wow. by, uh, by knowing these guys. Oh, that is awesome. I had COVID a year ago. We were kind of talking about our COVID experiences, yeah. but I, I had COVID a year ago and you know, I have like, I, I'm, people were checking in on me throughout the couple of weeks when I was in quarantine going through that. But the most consistent display of concern came from John San Juan and John Perrin, who reached out to me every single day wow. and checked up on me and asked me uh, questions and just sort of, I, it became something that um, really uh, buoyed my spirits during that time. Oh, that is great. I interacting with those two delightful human beings. That is awesome. Outside of the classic Bing Crosby version of White Christmas, is there another version that you like? Um, and I know it's hard to have one that just spring to mind besides Bing. But I know, all right, so Bing did it, and M Michael Buble has done it. Um, 
Let's see. Glee. I'm a big fan of my. The cast of Glee did it. Uh, uh, I'm not familiar with the Glee version. Me either. But. Oh, <laughs> uh, Gwen Stefani. I'm very familiar with the Michael Bublé version. The, the Bublé Christmas album is in heavy rotation around our house. We have it on vinyl. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, big fan. His version is great. And his version is cool because it's inspired by a couple of the classic versions. Okay. Because on his version, he's got that doo-wop thing. Oh, okay. Which is great. Yeah, so that's like that. Um, that's probably my favorite contemporary version of White Christmas. Okay, okay. Because uh, I know that Megan Trainer apparently has also done it. The Drifters did it. Montavani and his orchestra did it. Uh, let's see. Andy Williams, of course. Michael Bolton. Bette Midler. <laughs> so apparently the Megan Trainer version also has Seth MacFarlane on it. Interesting. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not familiar with uh, too many versions outside of Bing's version and whatever version. I think, gosh, I think almost every Christmas album I have has a version of it on there. And I've got a lot of Christmas albums, but for some yeah. reason, I'm just they don't stick as much as the Bing version. I don't know. Bing they had it going on. Maybe it's the whistling. Oh, maybe. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's that little extra piece that that's missing from everybody else's. <laughs> so once once uh, Christmas is over, are you still listening to to Christmas music? You can listen to it up until January first. Ah, uh, okay. Don't, do you listen to it before Thanksgiving? No, I personally don't allow it in our household before Thanksgiving. I don't either. <laughs> but I will allow it into probably through January. Once February starts to hit, then I'm like, uh, you listen to it all month of yeah. January. Yeah, because oh. I don't want to let it go. <laughs> I don't want it to. I don't want. I love Christmas season. I don't want it to go. I understand and appreciate that. I just feel like. You know, and I'm not saying that your way is wrong. Your way is perfectly valid. <laughs> but for me, the the best way to um, sort of extract the most satisfaction out of Christmas music is to make sure that it lives in its proper sphere. I, if you start it before Thanksgiving, then you sort of you you, you peak too early. I agree. I definitely agree. Now, I do listen to it a little farther because I like to keep, you know, the spirit of Christmas alive. It helps me remember what it's all about and, and hopefully carry it through more the year than if I stopped right at Christmas. So, yeah, hopefully. I, I don't know if it's actually true, but I like to think that. Now, do you go to any um, viewings of uh, It's a Wonderful Life on the big screen anywhere near you? I don't know that I've actually even seen the movie all the way through ever. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm sure I did as a kid, but I'm out this conversation. <laughs> We're, we are done here. Mister. <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna have to call John San Juan to finish this up. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I'm trying to think I, my, 
go-to movie is is uh, uh, a Christmas Carol, but it's the George C. Scott version. Yeah, I love that version better than the old. Was it the '30s or '40s version? Right, and I like it better than any other one since. Okay, l- wait. Before we move on from "It's a Wonderful Life," okay, uh, clarify. If you've never seen the whole thing, mm-hmm. does this mean that you've started watching it and you you've stopped at a certain point, so you're familiar with the beginning of the film? I, you know, honestly, it's been ages and ages since I even started it. I mean, probably decades. How, how have you avoided it? It's so prevalent. Like it's always showing on TV and. But see that when I'm usually watching football or have something else to do. I'm like, like when I, when I was younger, I was outside with, I was, you know, playing football, beating up my brother or uh, working well, on my car or something. So, you know, do yourself a favor. Okay. Find a movie theater near you. That's showing it this Christmas season. Okay. And go see it on the big screen. It's a it's a delightful, emotionally satisfying experience. All right, I'll bring everybody. I'll bring the family. You should. We'll do it. We'll do it. And I'll tell you, have you seen uh, one of my favorite new movies, The Man Who Invented Christmas? No, I have not. Oh man, that is great! It's a movie about how Charles Dickens came up with a Christmas Carol. And, okay. but it, it's, you know, it's, it's highly stylized. It, it is so good. It's a wonderful movie for the family. It's, you know, it's, there's no politics in it. There's nothing untoward in it. It's just really <laughs> a great movie and it's fun. It's okay. really cool. I highly recommend it. I will check it out. And then other than that, you know, you got all the Rankin and Bass movies. I got, I watched those constantly. Rankin and Bass. Yeah, yeah um, like uh, the year without a Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. Those yeah, those are make toys. Right. Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. <laughs> yes, <laughs> from the Island of Misfit Toys. <laughs> oh, Santa's going by. I love oh, any, cool. anything with Ed Wynn. I love the song, uh, not just a misfit. I'm not just a nit. Wit. Wit. You can't fire me. I quit. (laughs) Seems I don't fit in. (laughs) Great stuff. I think that's my first Christmas duet. So there was a little delay, but we were pretty close. Yeah. Well, it'll 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 be good. It's just it's a podcast. It's the truth. Not an exact science. No, for sure. So with White Christmas, did you record that at the same venue that you recorded the new live album that, that's coming out? Yes. It's uh, a venue called Space in Evanston, Illinois. And um, we included it in the recording session. So it was basically a, it, it was aired as a virtual concert, you know, exactly like the hideout sessions was. Okay. Uh, but what we did is we just saved white Christmas, um, and did it sort of off the air so that we could release it specifically as a, uh, as a Christmas single. That was always the plan. Yeah. I don't think you want to take one Christmas song and like stick it on 
a non-Christmas album. You've got to keep your genres separate. They can't touch. They can't touch. Yeah, you got to keep the I, green beans separate from. Uh, <laughs> I agree though, because I mean the, the the live album's really cool. You've got some awesome songs. There's some really interesting covers on there. But if you throw a Christmas song in it, it's gonna kind of relegate a lot of people to putting it into the their Christmas album pile. Right. And then they won't listen to it throughout most of the year. Yeah. I think a lot of people have an version to listening to any Christmas music like during the summer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So if there is a Christmas song on the album, they'll be saying no to it, you know, all year long. Although now I want to drive around in the middle of July blaring your version of White Christmas. Because it says I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It doesn't say it's any time in particular. It doesn't say, hey, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and now I'm dreaming after of a time. Now I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's just, it's kind of vague in that timeline. I think, seriously, that's one of the things about the song that kind of makes it work and makes it so beloved, is that there is, there's a yearning to it. You do have this sense that, you know, you're dreaming of it because... It's not what you're experiencing now. Mm -hmm. However, that isn't necessarily true. It's a song that sort of, it, it seems to communicate the snowiness of Christmas. Yep. And some without longing. Really whether that's where you're at or not right now. It's just like, it has more to do with memory yeah. and the way that, um, you know, Christmas time is sort of enshrined in your memory from any kind of like a childhood experiences you had where Christmas seemed particularly magical. Yes. I would agree with that a hundred percent. The set list on this is really interesting. I mean, you've got some wild stuff on there. Like, uh, I started a joke by the Bee Gees. James, you know, it's just some really fantastic choice. How did you come up with the songs? Because some of these are not covers that most people would do. Like Angel flying too close to the ground. How did you choose some of these songs? I mean, do they are they all? Do they mean something to you? Or I'll stop talking now. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, that Willie Nelson song, "Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground," is a song that the Smoking Popes. Uh, recorded a version of, and it was released, I think, as a B-side of one of our singles. It's it's kind of a, oh. it's kind of a deep cut for the Popes, but it is something that has been part of our catalog. So it was almost for us to do it here was almost a cover of a cover. I mean, I was I was taking into account that like diehard you know, Pope's followers would know that, that that is something that the Popes have done for a lot of the other songs. I mean, this, the process of picking the songs for these albums is interesting because there, there can be songs that are legitimately wonderful songs that I love. Um, but when we 
we try them, they just don't always work. It has to be, it has to be a great song, you know, mm-hmm. for starters, but then it also has to be something that, um, that I can latch onto something about the melody has to be, be something that I, that my vocal style can connect with. And that we as a band are able to, um, come up with an arrangement of it that seems to, to make sense and to have like a spark of, uh, inspiration to it. And so like with, I started a joke, I think this will also be apparent to a lot of, uh, Pope's fans, but it's not only a cover of, of, I started a joke. It also is a, uh, kind of an homage to the song starstruck one, because we, we borrow the, um, the drum beat from uh, starstruck one. Okay. Okay. Um, and so as soon as that idea emerged, we, we all knew that this was going to end up being the first song on the album because that's how destination failure starts out is with that. Yeah. It's just like a signature beat. And we wanted to create the illusion that we were actually playing Starstruck one. Oh, that's awesome. But you know, I, but this was, <laughs> I kind of, I remember coming to practice and being like, all right, we're going to try. I started a joke, but do me a favor. Just play the drum beat from Starstruck one. And like he did. And then I just laid this thing over top of it. And as soon as it happened, it just, you could just tell that it worked. And there's this kind of like giddy excitement that, that you have. Oh, that is cool. So did you guys rehearse a whole lot for this? Cause like you said, you know, getting these covers down, especially with a different twist on them, like, like you've put can't be easy. It's not easy, but it's, it's really fun. Uh, to, to me, the hard part is writing a, a song. That's the part where you're just like, you're just like, uh, you know, you're laboring over it. But once the, once the song is there, working on an arrangement is, uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't have that pressure. It's just like, it's just like trying on different outfits or something. Okay. Oh, that's you interesting. Know, like, like going into like a, a thrift store and pulling out like an old, cool looking coat off the rack and putting it on and being like, I don't know. I, you know, like sometimes you'll have an idea about a way to approach an arrangement and it works in your mind. But then when you try it, it just doesn't click. And that, I guess to, to keep tracking with this analogy, that's like <laughs> when you look at the coat on the hanger on the rack and you're like, that's a cool looking coat. Yeah. But you put it on and it doesn't fit. So it's like I would see Elvis's LeMay jacket. I would put it on and it would look ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> way to find out. I've got to go find his LeMay jacket. One of the coolest moments on this and one of my, and, and my favorite on the album is the duet you do with your daughter on something stupid. Oh. No, I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me. And 
If we go someplace to dance, I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me. And afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two. That is great. Was that was that your idea or was that hers? Oh, that was my idea. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to coerce her into it or was she pretty open to doing that? Oh, we love singing together and she was excited to do it. And uh, so like for us, singing together and harmonizing is something that comes pretty naturally. We've really been doing it all of her life ever since she, so I think she started singing when she was four or five years old. As oh, she wow. Was, yeah. And she kind of, you know, when, when we, when we dug in on that one, she kind of discovered that the, the Nancy Sinatra part, that harmony is interesting because it, it kind of stays on one note a lot. Yes. Like Frank's vocal part kind of like is ascending the whole time, but yeah. then she's just hitting this one note. She's anchoring the whole thing. Yeah. And there's like, at times there's a slightly atonal kind of dissonance that happens there in a really cool way. No. And, and the only part of it that she was nervous about on the whole record was um, playing the, the sleigh bells on white Christmas. Oh, really? She yeah. Good job. I thought she did a great job, but she something about that freaked her out. Cause she, <laughs> she hasn't been in a percussion type situation before. She's got great rhythm, but yeah, she's been singing in front of people for a long time, but like never played the sleigh bells before. <laughs> so, well, it, but it came out great. I'm really happy with how the video turned out. It's a complicated instrument. So I'm going to cut her some slack. Yeah. But no, she seriously though. She, she did an amazing job on something stupid. I really liked the video for white Christmas. So if she was nervous about it, it doesn't show in the video. Oh yeah, I think so too. I mean, and that is a skill in in and of itself to be in a situation, some kind of performance situation where you're nervous, but people cannot tell you're nervous. Right, for sure. If you can pull that off, then you basically have a God-given ability to uh, perform. I think I'd do the opposite, where I'm not nervous, and I but I just sound like garbage the whole time. <laughs> so I got to work on that one. But how can people pick up the single? How can they get the live album and keep track of what you're doing? Um, the single is just available digitally. Okay. So you can stream it where streams are streamed, or you can get it um, on Bandcamp. I think all of that, you can probably link to all that through the, uh, the Pravda a website. Right. Yeah. And the video is on YouTube. So you can, the video is on YouTube. And then, um, yeah, the, the album is coming out on Pravda records, just like the hideout sessions did. It's a great label. We're like stoked to be working with them. And so it'll be available, um, like December 17th, I think is a release date, the official release date for the record. But as I think most people are aware, um, there is a delay on vinyl production. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's Adele's fault. <laughs> I'll back you on that one. Yeah. It's just another reason to have something against Adele. But 
that means that in December, you'll be able to uh, get the album digitally. You'll be able to get the CD, but it might be a couple months before the vinyl shows up. Right. You can pre-order that or just wait for it. Or But if you get order the vinyl, at least you can get the get it digitally as well and listen to it. I believe that's going to be the deal is if you order the vinyl, you will get a digital download code. Yeah. So, you know, eventually I will show if that is the case. So that's the new one is this space sessions. Yeah. You thinking maybe continuing this on a little bit more? Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Although I also, um, I also feel like it's time to, uh, to write some stuff. You know, these projects have been specifically like reinterpreting existing music, mm -hmm. but I think that w whatever comes next is going to include at least some new original material because the songs are starting to bubble up and oh, excellent. come out. Well, when that happens, we'll have you on again. We'll talk about something else. Oh yeah. And we'll get Great. you some more. We'll get, we'll get some, we'll get, talk about a new album, new songs, and we'll figure out a way to get it all together and, and get you back on. Love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate your, your enthusiasm and your support. Oh man, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, indulging me with this Christmas talk and, uh, have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Same to you, buddy. Take care. We'll talk to you later, man. 